This is 128 Bits, a podcast about the most influential period of video games, what is known as the sixth generation, the Dreamcast, PS2, GameCube, and Xbox era. And on every episode, we will discuss one standout title from the generation and talk about its greatness, including its critical reception at the time, our favorite and least favorite things, its legacy, and we even go into what it would look like today. In this episode, I'm joined by Joseph, and we're going to talk about the best game 1999 could buy in 2004. <laughs> That's, of course, Katamari Damacy. So, uh, first of all, how are you, Joe? I'm doing good. I'm actually really excited to talk about this game because it's one of my favorite video games ever. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's definitely, like, quirky and stuff, for sure. I Like... It's its own it's its own kind of thing. Yeah, let's get into it. Yeah, it ticks all the boxes like for me for it yeah. to be a game that I that I'm obsessed with. So, it's uh I'm I'm really looking forward to it. After so, our echo discussion that kind of <laughs> yeah, like gives a whole insight and more insight into you. Yeah, you can see the pattern. <laughs> you can see a pattern <laughs> being established. Um so let's get into the background of the game. So Katamari Damacy was released on the PS2 on September 21st, 2004 for, like I said, the surprisingly low price of $19.99 brand new. And uh, although I could have sworn I paid $14.99 for it. <laughs> so I don't know if I got it used or if I like had store credit at GameStop or something, but I just remember being blown away by how cheap it was. Uh, Namco, which is the company that developed and published the game, could afford to charged so little for it because this game was originally a school project for Namco's Digital Hollywood Game Laboratory School, and the budget for the game was less than $1 million. It was somewhere between $600,000 and $800,000, which is pretty crazy for a game uh, just because they're so expensive to make starting from this era forward. The story of the game really starts with the story of its creator and director, Keita Takahashi. Which, along with Tetuya Mizuguchi, is one of my favorite video game creators to this day. And I also have a Google alert set up for his name. <laughs> uh, Takahashi, like Mizuguchi, is not a computer science guy or like a, a programming guy. His background is in sculpture, which he studied at Musashino Art University. Um, and now his time at university apparently made him realize his art should combine practical elements with whimsy and that his art can go beyond the medium of sculpture, which he considered a bit too exclusive and non-practical, which I think is fair. <laughs> um, thus, video games seemed like an interesting place to develop his thoughts further, as well as provide a path for him to make fun things. He joined Namco as an artist in 1999 and was a video game artist in a bunch of games while also developing his own ideas. Takahashi, inspired by a tech demo for the PS2 and an old Japanese schoolyard game where kids roll a giant ball into a goal, and not dung beetles, as is the common uh, like urban myth or whatever about uh, Katamari, uh, he developed the basic idea for what would be Katamari inspired by those two things. However, he was a part of Namco art and not Namco game design, so the bureaucracy and siloing off of a big enterprise made it hard for him to really present his idea to anyone. So Takahashi reached out to a former boss in Namco for ideas on how he can make this game happen, and his boss proposed going through the game dev school route. So back in the late 90s, Konami started a video game development school to train new developers and also bring in more fresh experimental ideas. And like one of the big results of that was the whole music uh, division for uh, Konami, especially like DDR. That's how Dance Dance Revolution was born. It was a student project first. 
So based on that success, other studios started doing this and uh, Namco founded their own school and they called it the Namco Digital Hollywood Game Laboratory. <laughs> I don't know why Hollywood was included, but uh, <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much their game dev school. They had to throw as many buzzwords as they could. <laughs> yeah, it's a Hollywood game laboratory. <laughs> um, in this school, there was a senior level class in which students would model 3G, 3D objects and produce a game prototype with advising from Namco employees which could then be made into full games. So Takahashi approached the school and was the advisor for 10 students who were in this senior level class. And that's how work on Katamari Damacy started as a prototype, as a part of this senior project. So before I go any further, I think at this point, it's appropriate to describe what Katamari Damacy is. <laughs> uh, the main gameplay concept is rolling a ball around that collects things that are smaller than it and thus adding to the size of the ball, at which point you can then pick up bigger things that you weren't able to pick up before. So it's like a big snowball, for, so to say. It's just like you keep rolling it, it gets bigger, and then you can pick up more stuff and it gets bigger. Yeah. The main character of the game is this little tiny guy called the Prince of All Cosmos, who is tasked by his dad, the King of All Cosmos, which looks like Freddie Mercury, and whose voice slash language is like record scratches. Yeah. <laughs> um, He's tasked to repopulate the night sky with stars and the moon after the king of all cosmos drunkenly destroyed them all. Uh, it's a <laughs> well, very the king weird and story. the queen of all cosmos. Yeah. Because <laughs> he kept saying we, or unless he refers to himself like Venom, that was what I couldn't. <laughs> I think he's just then. he's just like, I am everything. I am the entirety <laughs> of the cosmos or something like that. So we all get it's all of our problems. Yeah. <laughs> that he seems like a very self-centered guy. Now. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so he got drunk, destroyed everything in the sky, including the moon and the stars, and he's tasking his tiny son to repopulate the sky. And <laughs> he does so by rolling his ball or katamari and picking up stuff, which the king then turns into a star. The record um, scratches of his voice were cool. I liked that a lot. Yeah, it, it was really cool. And it's funny because I've been playing the remake recently. And whenever he plays, whenever he speaks, it's just like, and uh, my wife is like, what is that? What are you playing? Because <laughs> he just talks a lot. Um, so in each level, the tiny prince would be tasked with rolling his ball or katamari to a minimum size within the time limit, which would then create a star that the king of all cosmos would put back in the sky. So, for example, at first you're rolling up thumbtacks and rolling them up until your katamari gets big enough to roll up cats and bushes. Then it gets big enough to roll up cars then buildings, eventually you're rolling up mountains, which is, it was really rewarding to just see it grow and grow. <laughs> uh, there was also levels where it was not just about getting to a specific size, but about rolling up a specific set of things. So for example, to recreate the Pisces constellation, you needed to pick up so many fish. Um, and it's, it's a very, very simple concept, but from the very beginning, Takahashi was focused on making something that was silly, fun, and simply accessible above all. So I, I think he achieved that because that's yeah. really like, that's all there is to the gameplay. It's super, <laughs> super simplistic. Uh, the student, now going back to how this started, the student project version of Katamari was originally developed for the GameCube because Sony's PS2 was notoriously difficult to work with and the school didn't even have dev kits when the project started. Uh, so yeah, the, the first version of the game also featured the idea that the game's soundtrack would get more complex as the Katamari got bigger 
and then reduce in complexity if as it got smaller whenever you lost things or you ran into a wall or whatever which reminds me a lot of res and yeah. uh yeah it's an idea that i keep trying to put into my fictitious video game design so <laughs> i think that's another common thread with game developers that i'm obsessed with <laughs> Uh, but anyway, that concept was seen as too difficult to implement, especially by students, so it was dropped. Um, the first version of the Katamari demo was shown at Japan Media Arts Festival and also internally to leadership at Namco, at which point uh, full development was approved with work starting in earnest in late 2001. Now, it took a year and a half for Namco and Now Production, which is the team that they hired to kind of help port everything over to the PS2 from the original GameCube and then to actually build the game on top of that. And uh, interestingly, through it all, Takahashi ignored Namco Exec's demands to increase the complexity of the game. He was just clinging on to the importance of easy accessibility or ease of use as a core game mechanic. Good call. Yeah, it's just like he got it approved. He's not even like in the video game design. He gets his game approved. He gets a team to work on it and the, uh, the execs are demanding he make it more difficult and he's just like nah I'm good <laughs> yeah just push it no no we'll get closer it's just getting closer and closer to the release date um so the thing that I didn't understand about this or like that I was trying to figure out is they didn't have the dev kits so they just said we'll make it for the GameCube and then port it to the PS2 yeah pretty much they're just <laughs> like we're gonna make our assets as general as possible and then eventually it, it, we'll just port it over to the ps2 which is That's funny yeah it's very backwards to me but i think they just really wanted to get the students working on something and uh, they probably didn't expect this to actually be a thing that would have any legs that's what that's what i'm guessing i don't know why yeah. else you would do it that way yeah yeah and the other thing that i was reading is um the other reason that they didn't make the music get less complex or yeah simpler as the katamari got smaller was that nobody wants to play the music when it's simpler <laughs> yeah it would be kind of um i don't know like discouraging it's like yeah. oh yeah i'm happy and then it sucks yeah, yeah like oh man i gotta get my music back and then like giving <laughs> the player more and more anxiety probably which is like the exact opposite of what this game <laughs> wanted what the game designer was going for yeah i still i still yearn for this game on the gamecube it just it would be such a perfect GameCube game, but yeah. it is what it is. Um, a demo of Katamari Damacy on the PS2 was shown to the public at Tokyo Game Show 2003, and the press swooned all over it, and <laughs> Sony loved it so much, they offered to advertise the game with their own money. Uh, and that was in Japan. In order for the game to be released in the US, it took a lot of pressure from the media as well as game developers pushing for it because just Namco didn't think it would work in the US. It was first shown to Americans as part of 2004's Game Developers Conference, specifically the Experimental Gameplay Workshop, which is just like where game devs show whatever crazy gameplay concept Japan is working on to showcase to other game devs. But I remember that getting a lot of hype back in 2004. And then it was shown to the general public at E3 of the same year, where it got considerable hype and Namco finally relented and announced a USA release date, kind of like reluctantly <laughs> releasing it in the United States. Katamari Damacy is a weird, quirky, unique title that is one man's visions for what games could be. Just like Rez, it comes from someone who sees games as more than just, you know, like video games, but as mediums for art and expression. It was maybe the most pleasant surprise of the generation and not just for gamers, but even for Namco itself. So 
overall, I think Katamari Damacy can just be described as that, like a pleasant surprise. In terms of critical reception, the game didn't only get hype from fellow game developers. It actually got pretty good reviews. It got it has an 86 out of 100 out of 55 reviews on Metacritic, which is really, really good, especially for a game that had a budget that small. Official PlayStation Magazine gave it a 90, citing its original, addictive gameplay, elegantly simple graphics, and an awesome soundtrack, all for $20, which I agree with. Um, IGN also gave it a 90, saying, quote, it's something that's fun, something that's happy, and something that's so well put together and so enjoyable, whatever faults it may have fade behind the laughter and smiles it so effortlessly creates, end yeah. quote. That that's, a pre- that's a pretty glowing review, right? Yeah, well, that one's also like the most apt one that I've seen. Yeah. EGM, which is notoriously tough at this time, gave it an 85 saying, quote, the goofy dialogue, smooth difficulty curve and inherent fun of taking something small and building it into something big are all things you just can't find anywhere else on the game shelf. Bravo. And I really thought about that. Like it's the inherent fun of taking something small and building it into something big, which I didn't realize was something that's inherently fun, but I guess it is. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of like just building Legos. It's cool when they're small, but when you make something really big, just stacking them really, really tall is fun enough. Uh-huh. Or even the simple joy of taking those dry erase markers, you know, and like putting them end to end and making a lightsaber out of them. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what like a rubber band ball is a thing that exists. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I, I did not realize that was like an inherently fun thing, but yeah, they're right. Yeah. Uh, my darling GamePro gave it an 80 or a 4.0 out of 5 fun factor in GamePro terms. And uh, GamePro editor Tess Monkey reviewed it. And in his opening paragraph, he says, quote, Filled with a lot of wickedly demented humor, Katamari Damacy is a cure for the dull and ordinary. I don't know what's demented. Maybe it's all the, <laughs> the king of all cosmos. If you fail, he insults you pretty like relentlessly. Um, not even if you fail also like if you <laughs> if you do really well too he's like well if we would have made it bigger if we were doing it but whatever yeah you just can't catch a break from the guy <laughs> yeah um, he's just like the worst well not the worst but he's just like a very strict not strict i guess hard to please father there you go yeah the uh stereo i don't know if it's a stereotypical japanese father <laughs> maybe it is maybe takahashi's working through something uh with the king of all cosmos <laughs> But I, the other thing that I think was pretty, which I think would count as wickedly demented humor, is that um, when your katamari gets to a certain size, children and people run away from it in fear. <laughs> so, yeah. And that was the first time that happened, that was pretty funny. But I don't know if that's maybe that counts as wickedly demented. Uh, this game was actually reviewed by the New York Times, and I found the original article. Uh, it took me a while because of the New York Times paywall, but. It was written by Charles Harold in an article entitled Touches of Weird Done Best in Japan. And in that article, he highlights a control scheme, the control scheme saying, quote, I've never seen a control scheme like that before, but then I've never seen a game where you could roll a ball over a cat before, end quote. And he's talking about how the game was really just controlled with the twin joysticks. Yeah. Um, and, and that's it, like. You really didn't do anything else, which was, yeah, it was a very, very simple control scheme. At the end of the New York Times article, though, he mentions that Katamari Damacy is on sale on for the PS2 for $19.99 and for the Nintendo GameCube for $49.99, uh, 
which kind of nullifies everything <laughs> else he said in the article. I'm like, how much attention were you paying to this game, dude? Um, of course, the New York Times issued a correction on October 16th, 2004. I mean, he also said control scheme, which means he probably doesn't play video games very much. <laughs> there weren't really any bad reviews that I could find. And again, the triumvirate of dude magazines did not review <laughs> Captain Mary Damacy, not surprisingly. Stuff Maxim and FHM online. Um, what about uh, no fat chicks or whatever it was? Yeah, four four fat chicks. Four fat chicks. <laughs> no, they did not review it either. Damn. Actually, I I, th I should just bookmark their website and uh, see if I can find <laughs> stuff on there. Um, in terms of awards, Katamari won a bunch. It won the U.S. Award for Excellence in, uh, Excellence in Game Design at the 2005 Game Game Developers Choice Award. Time Magazine had a Best Games of the Year special and called it the most unusual and original game to hit PlayStation 2. Katamari Damacy won two awards from the Academy of Interactive Arts and Sciences for Outstanding Innovation in Console Gaming and Outstanding Achievement in Game Design, as well as nominations for Game of the Year, Console Game of the Year, and Outstanding Achievement in Original Music Composition. So all in all, it, it was very highly lauded by game developers. Um, and, and yeah, like I guess people who really were obsessed with games. I don't want to say put thought into games because that sounds like elitist, but I think people who really like paid attention to games and didn't just play the mainstream titles really appreciated Katamari Damacy as soon as it was released. Yeah. In terms of sales, like I mentioned before, a big thing for this game was its low price. It was 20 bucks, which was about a third of a new game. However, Namco was a little hesitant to print so many copies for the American release since the game kind of underperformed in Japan. So in Japan, they expected something like half a million and it only sold like 100,000. So yeah, they thought this is like a Japanese game for the Japanese market and it didn't do so well. It probably won't do so well in the United States. However, by the end of 2004, so from September to December, Katamari sold 120,000 units in the United States with many places selling out of the game. So yeah, I... It's safe to say it did better in the U.S. than in Japan. Um, and I'm not sure how reliable the data on VG charts with a Z.com is, but according to them, in total, Katamari Damacy sold 470,000 units in the United States, which if that's true, and given the budget of under $1 million at 20 bucks each, it means Namco made a good amount of change from this game, uh, which is like, yeah, that's, even though it didn't crack a million, just, the fact that the budget was so low means they made really good profit off of this game. It's not even something that they were like counting on either. Like they put a lot of development into. They yeah. just found it in their school. Yeah, they just found it because this one guy really wanted to make his game and they made a couple million out of it. Yeah. <laughs> um, let's get into our behind the scenes and trivia section. So the name Katamari Damacy, in Japanese, Katamari means clump or clod and Damashi is the rendaku form of tamashi. I don't know what rendaku is, but it means soul or spirit. So the phrase means like clump spirit. That's what the <laughs> name translates to roughly, uh, which is pretty articulate considering how many souls you're rolling up yeah. to turn into stars. Yeah, at some point you're rolling up like entire cities. Yeah, uh, it, <laughs> which is just like, yeah, that makes sense. It's a, it's the whole spirits of them are in this big old clump. <laughs> um uh, the prince, king of all cosmos, uh, have a unique design where their head is shaped like a hammer. And that's because the first ever iteration of the game, and this is just back in um, Takahashi's imagination, right? Um, 
it featured the prince stunning humans by hammering them, like <sighs> headbutting them with his head, sticking a steering wheel in their neck and driving them around. <laughs> uh, that idea didn't last long, but the hammerhead design stayed, and that sounds dementedly hilarious or yeah, whatever. I would was. play the hell out of that game. When I read that, I was like, oh my God, I need to play that game now. <laughs> yeah, I was like, whoa, that, that would have been intense. Um, another fun fact, the game was not released in Europe uh, as Namco considered it too weird for the European market. So, I mean, they did not, they did not want to release it in North America. They did not release it in Europe. However, uh, EA released the sequels for Katamari because Katamari became like a global hit after that. Um, so yeah, Namco really didn't have a lot of faith in, the, in this game, but they were proven wrong. Um, the cover art, which is really, really cool. If you haven't seen it, uh, I'll probably put a link to it in the show notes. The cover art for the US game was done by Takahashi himself. Again, the dude went to art school, so he's pretty he's pretty handy with a pencil, I guess. Um, <laughs> Another fun fact, Katamari Damacy was one of the recipients of the 2004 Good Design Award in Japan. And it's the first video game to have won that award. Huh. Uh, it's just a general design award. Like it goes to like furniture or clothing or buildings or whatever. It's just like a design award. And yeah, back in 2004, Katamari Damacy got it, which is pretty exceptional. Yeah. In... In 2009, Takahashi said that Katamari was originally a statement on consumption-based society, which I thought was pretty interesting. Uh, he said the following, quote, In Katamari Damacy, I wanted to show an ironic point of view about the consumption-based society, but I wanted to make more objects. If it were empty, I would feel empty or lonely. But when these objects are rolled up and absorbed by the Katamari, they're gone. Then I feel empty. I feel the same way about disposable society, I think. I could successfully express my cynical stance toward consumption society with Katamari, but still, I feel empty when the objects were rolled up, end quote. So, yeah, I just thought that was so... I, I don't know if... I really don't think he originally meant that. I don't know. It feels to me like it's something that, like, with... In retrospect, you're like, oh, yeah, I was feeling that at this time, and, and this kind of describes that or something like that. But it's pretty interesting that it's just like, it's a consumption game, right? It's just like, I got to consume, 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 yeah. take more than anything else. So I thought that was really interesting. It's funny to hear that. And then, because um, I was actually just watching a couple of playthroughs yesterday too. The final song is weird. Do you remember it at all? Oh, yeah. I love that song. But it's like, it, it, song. it kind of reminds me of that, now, or at least that quote. Wait, are you talking about the last, the song on the last level? Or the like the end credits the song. end credits song. Well, it's kind of weird. It talks about how like the world is full of beauty, but like or like the world is beautiful, but it's filled with sadness. And it goes on to say like all we need is uh, all we need, all all of us need to shine is love for the green mother, a well balanced diet, plenty of sleep, and a nice tan to boot. And it's just like <laughs> the weirdest song, dude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the music <laughs> in this game is just is really good. And yeah, it kind of maybe he did if you put that because yeah, the music, the lyrics for the songs, like if you look them up, they they're mostly all like that. So maybe he was trying to communicate that from the very beginning. Yeah, that's why like that that was the only part that fits that quote that i think you're talking about but that's right at the end of the game yeah and uh so yeah it feels that aspect of it reminds me more of a dung beetle but <laughs> not anything else. 
Oh, another fun fact is that the core gameplay mechanic is actually patented by Namco. Huh. Uh, it's the subject of the U.S. patent seven thousand four hundred and twenty seven thousand four o two one o four, and it says the game performing method, game apparatus, storage medium, data signal, and program. The patent issued in 2009 primarily describes how the game maintains the roughly spherical nature of the katamari when objects are picked up, though extends to concepts such as tracking objects collected based on temperature or weight values. And another cool thing about this is that this whole aspect of the patent is something that really, really, really upset Takahashi because he just saw his game as something that is just fun, not necessarily something that is like a patented idea that we should be protected and litigated against and all these other things. Uh-huh. And the last thing is that the game's been re-released for the Switch this year, and it's awesome. If you have a Nintendo Switch, you should get it. I think it's going to get re-released on the PS4 and Xbox in November of 2020. But yeah, it's just it's it's a really really fun game, and if you have a Switch, you should. It's like 15 bucks, so pick it I up. Think I'm gonna, I haven't I didn't pick it up. I should have, but I saw uh, footage of it yesterday too while I was looking up some clips, and it looks beautiful. Yeah, they remastered it really well. I think it's on the Unity engine now. So it looks really good. It feels really good. The music is great. It's just, it's one of my, the Switch has really been like a a console where I play all the old games I really liked, like Luminous also. (laughs) Or now that Super Mario HD All-Stars is going to come out, I'm going to play Super Mario Sunshine on it. It's going to be a lot of fun, but. Yeah, yeah Luminous. Played, so that's how I'm planning on playing that too. <laughs> Luminous and Katamari Damacy are the games that I play the most on the Switch. And then Animal Crossing after that. <laughs> All right. So let's get or did you find anything in your um in your uh research that we did that I didn't speak about? No. All right, cool. Let's get into our questions. So the first question is what is your favorite thing about this game, Joe? Uh it's two things well like I, it's just the dude hit his goals um it's it's humor and it's easy access like we'll get into the legacy later uh but this one's just weird and whimsical and it can be enjoyed by anybody because you can just pick it up and like easily play it um so yeah like it's funny to go back and, and then read like more into it and see that that's what he was going for because he nailed it yeah he he really really did because it's super simple like I think it's harder to explain the control scheme than to just give you a controller and yeah. like you figure it out. Um, yeah, within a couple of seconds, at least within a couple of minutes, you got it pretty much down. <laughs> yeah, so he really, really nailed it. Um, for me, though, the fa- my favorite thing about this game is just the weirdness of it all. <laughs> um, it just from the as soon as you boot up the game and like you know usually the game developers title screen pops up after the PlayStation 2, right? This one would say like Namco and it's just the logo. At that point, it's just this, the the first song in the soundtrack starts playing and it's just one guy doing the Katamari Damacy theme song. Like, and you're just like, is that coming from the game or what, what happened? <laughs> and from then on, you're like, okay, yeah, this is going to be, this is going to be something different. Um, and just like the way the story is told, because there is a story to this game, just like in in almost like storyboard format, where it's just like cartoons of a human family yeah. and just voice over it and stuff like that. Everything about it from the music to the art style, the control scheme, the humor, it's just 
unique and it's itself and i don't know if it's a reflection of the of the of like the director of the artist behind the game but it's just it's totally different from everything else totally weird from everything else and it just never tries to hide it you know what i mean like yeah, it, it yeah. never it never tries to pander like you can tell that no marketing person ever came near this game <laughs> um and i can see why namco didn't want to release that outside of japan because it's very weird and it's very different from any american game out there and yeah. it's just like it's i i just that moment i remember plugging it in and being like what there's a guy just humming a theme song <laughs> at the very beginning it's so weird but i love it and that's it's my favorite thing about this game. Kind of cute on Namco's part to be like so protective of like, no, we, I mean, we know how good it is, but we don't want you guys to like shit on it. Like, <laughs> Yeah, pretty much. It's just, <laughs> it's, it's like one of those things where they knew how Japanese it was and they didn't want people to make fun of Japan, I guess, or something yeah. like that. <laughs> you um, guys I can't have it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's kind of like how I feel where it's I'm I'm into something really Mexican, but I don't want people to know. Like I'm into like Vandal Recodo or something like that. And I don't want to play it outside because I don't want people to make fun of it because it'll hurt me at a very deep level. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's kind of what it feels like, but it's just it's such a good game. It's so perfect. It's it has a, a design language all throughout that is totally unique. The music is weird because it's like lounge jazz and like eight bit hip hop and stuff <laughs> like that. And it works. Um and it's just it's a weird game. It's totally unique and it's just worth checking out completely. Yeah. I mean it just believes in itself all the way through, which is what what benefits from a lot. Yeah. And like you said, he's he nailed it. He stuck to his vision and he nailed it. And it's it's just a very rewarding game in that sense. Yeah. The second question, what is the standout moment um, for you, Joe? Um, I think, so with this one, it's kind of weird for me because it was like, what you're talking about with like the weirdness from the beginning, like, yeah, I, I knew it was weird from the beginning, but I didn't really know how much I had to buy in personally mm. until probably like the third segment with that family. Because mm. like... There's one I think in between where she she does the I feel the cosmos or the way that I was playing it. Oh, I feel it. I feel the cosmos. And I was like, what Catch the hell is happening here? But like, I think it's the one where they're uh, in the plane and then he sees the king of all cosmos and she doesn't. She sees yeah. the island and he's like, I thought it was there or something like that. That was the time where I was just like, all right, I guess we're just going to get really weird with this game. So like, <laughs> let's just, let's just let it go. Let everything go. And like, that was the point where I like just kind of dove head first or not head first into it, but like I was already in it. I was like, all right, let's just let go and let this game be as weird as it's going to get. <laughs> yeah. The story is weird because at the same time that you're rebuilding the night sky, there's this family in Japan whose dad is an astronaut and yeah. he, he can't go to the moon because the moon isn't there anymore. Um, and so they're like, they're dealing with that. And the little girl can feel the work that you're doing as the prince and the <laughs> king. And she can like feel the cosmos or she can see stars coming back and stuff like that. And it's very weird at the end. Well, I won't spoil the ending as it can be like, because you should probably play it if you haven't played it. But the ending is really cool because it kind of ties all of that together. Yeah. Um, and that's my standout moment. My standout moment is the beginning of the last level. 
Um, so the last level is the longest in the game. Um, you're tasked with rebuilding the moon. And when the music kicks in, it's so epic because it's like this Sinatra style finale of like jazz and big drums, kind of like the drums sound like um, those, remember SpongeBob's halftime show? Yeah. <laughs> the sweet victory, that's what they sound like. And it's like, a. am going to put the music in here so people can hear it. But it's just so cool. And the level you, you like, it's the longest one and you get to roll the biggest Katamari in the whole game. Um, and then there's this dramatic emotional ending. Uh, and yeah, I looked up the lyrics to the song and they are so beautiful and just point out the heart under the game. So I'm going to read a little bit of the lyrics because like these are the things that non-developers do in video games that really makes me love the games even more. So this is what, as you're starting the last level, that song that you just heard, this is what he's singing. Oh, how this blue planet sp spins so very peacefully, but how the sadness, it never seems to go away. Oh, why, why, why do we keep hurting one another when all it takes is to help is a little love and a little understanding. And then he, he, in the chorus, he screams, love, connect with each other till our hearts beat as one. Try, we want to roll everything in. Don't stop and let the love flow. Mm. Then we all can be together forever. Oh, isn't this our blue planet such a beautiful star? <laughs> yeah, if we have empty hearts, we can't beat as one. That's another one. So it's just like, and it, it, it's kind of, and it's funny because it's like, yeah, that's true and profound and everything. But it's also ties in that it's not letting you forget that you're rolling up a ball because it's just like, try, we want to roll everything in. <laughs> so yeah, uh, it's just that last level was so cool, but in every level, every time you reach a new phase, like when your Katamari gets to a certain size, it kind of like unlocks a part of the level or like now you can roll up certain things and there'll be like this motion blur effect kind of letting you know that, hey, you got bigger. And that moment is always cool because it just like unlocks a whole part of the game. There are certain levels where all of a sudden now you can roll over a fence and there's this whole other chunk of the city that you had no idea was there and it's all unlocked and this is there's this excitement that gets to it um when you just see that oh wow i can roll up all of these other things and that happens in almost every level yeah. so those two are like my standouts not just yeah. the last one but that thing that happens in every level when you just get big to a point and the rest of the world is unlocked yeah i narrowed it down to this and that actually like when your perspective kind of changes throughout the level yeah. You're starting as like like yeah, like you said, picking up like thumbtacks and then you go you can go from that to like being inside of a city picking up cars or you're inside of a city and then you're like you're on a shore and then ultimately you're picking up freaking islands outside yeah. in like in the middle of the ocean. <laughs> yeah. There was one uh one of my favorite ones. I forgot what level it is, but it's like a it's like a little city. And then if you um you can roll into a school and there's a like a playground full of kids in like their PE outfits and you just roll them all up and the sound it makes is like, doo, 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 doo. it's so, it's so funny. It's so cool. And that, that's one of my favorite moments. Yeah. Well, and eventually the ones that don't get rolled up, try to run away, but you just roll them all up. But it's yeah. like you, you don't see that school until you reach a certain level. And then when you are big enough and you see all those kids, you're just like, yes, I get to roll up all of these kids. <laughs> There's all these moments like that throughout the game that it's just a very simple mechanic, but it's executed so, so, so well. Yeah. The third question, what is the worst part of the game for you, Joe? I got to say the repetition, like it's, mm. 
as fun as it is doing the same thing over and over again, which is typically not very fun, um, <laughs> this game actually does make it as fun as possible. But even then, you're still doing the same thing over and over again. And like the soundtrack is great, but the songs do repeat pretty quick. You hear each song probably two or three times in in, in the short game. Um, and it is a short game. And then even the dialogue, like in between, I guess it's not really dialogue, but like the record scratches, um, you're in between each level is the same thing where he's saying like, oh, he gives you a different greeting from a different country. I think it was like in a different language and then says like, have you ever been to this country? And then like tells you what you're looking for. And then that like each time it's the same thing over and over again. Yeah. Like this to a T the same exact thing other than when it's like the collect a specific thing, but those are, are, aren't as much as the regular levels. Yeah, there is an element of repetition, and I, I guess it's also because the, the mechanic is so simple, mm-hmm. um, and the level design in this game is is small enough, because in, in later games, it gets a little bit more varied, but in this one, it just kind of all fits that one, like, Japanese city mold, right? Yeah. Um, that I can definitely understand that, and, uh, like, the as, I guess the record scratches annoying my wife kind of shows proof <laughs> of that, that it's just, like, it all sounds the same when you're not playing the game, right, eventually. Yeah. And it all reads the same. Um, but for me, the worst part of the game, and it, it has to be the controls. Okay. Even though they're simple, they can be so annoying. Because there are moments when you're stuck or oh. like if you want to like speed boost, you like go back and forth really fast. But I would screw that up all the time. And there was parts where I get stuck and then the camera angles would be kind of weird. And I think another repeating theme in this show is that I'm not that good at playing video (laughs) games, even though I enjoy them very much. And the thing that always held me back on this one from like achieving the goals and stuff like that was whenever I would get, I would mess up the controls. So there's, for example, on one level where you start up really small and there's like this line of items that if you can just nail picking up so many like bananas Eventually, by the time you get to the end of the line, you'll already be in the next phase. But I always screw that up (laughs) because I can't either curve correctly or I can't follow the trails. And it's just because the controls kind of get like hinder me a little bit. Um, I don't know what would fix them, but that's that's the thing that is the worst for me. They're so simple. I get how how like simple they are. But for me, at least they weren't very intuitive or it wasn't like one of those things where on a really on, on a game that controls very well, it feels like it's reading your mind, right? Uh-huh. And on this game, it always felt like I was kind of struggling with the prince to kind of get him to do what I wanted to do. It's also so. hard to tell and judge sometimes, like if your Katamari is big enough to go over certain things. Yeah, yeah, it really is. It's a lot of trial and error. Um, the like the easy thing to tell is whenever animals would chase you, but that wasn't always the case, right? Yeah. <laughs> Just like yeah, yeah. There, there were times where you thought you were going to be big enough and you were rolling nicely and you bump into something and then you're kind of stuck against the corner and you have to maneuver yeah. your way out and things like that. So. Maybe I'm just bad at it, but yeah, that, that's the thing that <laughs> no, always... No, def- like, there's definitely a lot of time spent in, in like corners trying to get out, and then you're like, oh, I got my time limit going. <laughs> yeah, and that's the other thing, too. If, like, the the time limits for the levels make it so that if you get stuck, um, you, you start getting more nervous, and then it makes the controls feel even worse, so... Yeah. Well, some of those... Uh levels like feel like marathons the the longer ones towards the end yeah 
And I mean, it's just because you're doing like you're because you're doing the same action over and over again, which again is fun, and it's like fun to see the different things that you pick up, get into like ships and clouds and stuff like that. But yeah. it's still the same thing, yeah, <laughs> the same action. Yeah, I agree. And I it, at first I used to think that if the last level would be longer, it would be really cool. But I th- I, I think by that point, since you start off so small, um, it it just like. It, it, it gets to that point where you're fatigued after a while. Yeah. Cause you're like holding the sticks forward all this time and, and things like that. So I, I, that used to be my big complaint with this game, but replaying it, I don't think that's the case anymore because and it's of that. short enough to play in one playthrough. Really? Yeah. Yeah. It really is. If you don't screw it up as much as <laughs> I do. <laughs> so the fourth question, how did the game age and what's, what parts of it age the best and the worst aside from the, from the graphics what do you think joe um i mean i think it raged aged really well to be honest with you i can't think of anything that's really like bad i mean if it came out as a new ip today even looking the same way as it did on the ps2 mm-hmm. i'd still at least give it a shot and pick it up um it looks it looks okay for what it is seeing after i saw re-roll i was like no okay like this is what it needs to look like because it looks <laughs> beautiful yeah. um but yeah yeah i mean even if it was kind of like that that blurriness that the old one had i'd still play it like it seems and it's addictive enough and pick up pick up and play enough that um like it'd be be like that yeah yeah i agree with you and i think what what it is is that the game has a visual language like it's it's one thing for it to be limited by its graphics engine right and that's the thing where old games that try to go for realistic graphics will never hold up in time Mm -hmm. but games that have like a set visual language that then build their world around that always age more gracefully um and I, i i think that's what katamari did where everything in it looks really good and the core gameplay mechanic is so simple and it just they nailed it from the beginning and yeah. that has aged beautifully because like you said re-roll is it plays really well like it's just the things that were strong in it before are still strong in it now um it's just it just works it's like the gameplay mechanic is solid there's nothing to it there's nothing to it that i would add or anything like that maybe some ai to interpret like where it is you want to roll but that's just like a minor minor complaint but it aged really really well um that's why it, you should get on the switch if you're listening <laughs> to this because um, you will enjoy it yeah res, res kind of did that same thing where we're, at least what we're talking about like the graphics where it's just kind of like simplistic and mm-hmm. has its own own style yeah yeah definitely it just it didn't try to go for uber realistic or push the envelope but instead just like sit define our visual language and just stick within those parameters and yeah. it'll it'll age well um the music it also aged really well yeah i think so it's just such a cool sounding game i listen to the soundtrack every time that i accidentally run into a katamari damasi song i end up listening to the rest of the soundtrack <laughs> because it's just it's just so weird like i said it's like big like cocktail jazz type things and techno and hip-hop-ish and if you look up the lyrics you're going to be even more moved (laughs) just yeah the music aged very well the whole game in general is just really well thought out and because of that it just aged very well it was like a complete product you can tell that it wasn't rushed there was a lot of care placed behind it and there was very little 
marketing behind it in terms of like market research or focus groups or anything like that that really make it so that it's it stands alone in it and unique in in what it's trying to say and how it says it yeah i mean something just came to me is for all its quirkiness and weirdness like there's a lot of hip-hop infused into this game like (laughs) from the record scratches to like all the samples that they use like even in a lot of those music like there's a lot of different uh rhythms that they have that are kind of reminiscent of other stuff and then like the um phantom of the opera sample they use when the king of cosmos (laughs) shows up yeah like swerves me every single time it happens i'm like oh i'm like expecting to hear the rest of the phantom of the opera song but it's like no nope. instead we go into record scratches like and the the music or um the colorfulness of it and like the way it's it's drawn even more so when you see it in re-roll and you can mm. see that detail of it like there's a lot of cool details in it yeah for sure and it's it's funny that you mentioned that phantom of the opera because again they kind of highlight that you should kind of be afraid of the king of all cosmos. Right? <laughs> like he's just, he's not a nice guy. He's, he, he's a little bit of a jerk and you, you really don't feel comfortable speaking to him. <laughs> the fifth question, what is the legacy of this game? What do you think, Joe? Um, quirkiness and weirdness. I gotta yeah. say, like I didn't, um, realize it was a project before we before reading about it now like i never knew any of this stuff about the development back then when we were playing it but it reminds me a lot like as the more and more i was reading into it it just kept reminding me of um is it project Greenlight that steam does yeah yeah like it just reminded me of that like the way that they had that game design school is just Hmm. just green light in person um the way that where you where they could find all that that kind of stuff and this was the first one I or the first of like independent games I remember really getting big, mm. or like I guess really the first kind of independent game that I got exposure to. Before this, it was always stuff that I saw like in GamePro and these other gameplay magazines, like AAA titles that I wanted to play. And this yeah. is one that was just kind. Of, I mean, it's twenty bucks. Like, <laughs> it just wasn't what what other games were. What games were at the time for me. Yeah, I I agree with you that quirkiness and was one of was is one of its big legacies. Um, I consider it like another one of those art games, kind of just like Res, where it's it's just the vision of one man who who like had a thesis of what he thinks games could be, and like really worked at executing that vision with as few compromises as possible. I would say this one had even less compromises than than Res did because. Like, yeah, he just ignored him. It started off as a student project. He had the idea of like, it's going to be like simple. It's going to be accessible. It's going to be funny. And that's it. And then like, you can tell that he studied sculpture and art and stuff like that, because everything is just kind of following design principles and how all the characters look the same, like just having a visual language and things like that. I guess overall, I just really love games that attract non-game people because they see games as something different than yeah. what people who have been in it for a while ca- like have. And they can create things like this, which are beautiful and expand the definition of what a video game can be. So yeah, I think for me, this is like like one of those, it's like a res, it's an art game. It's a video games are art type thing. And how even um, like weirdness has a place in video games, right? Yeah. Um, and it can be... Like, even if your game is weird, it can have heart and it can touch people that don't necessarily, like, 
are into weird things <laughs> you know what i mean like <laughs> this seems like the type of game that like an anime kid would play but i like i don't consider myself an anime kid right <laughs> maybe i am but i i'm not as big of it like i've never owned cat ears or anything like that <laughs> but this is like this is yeah it's like a weird game but it has heart and as long as as you're telling something significant you can be weird i think that's the overall legacy of this game mm-hmm. it's also what like uh, i don't know if i remember games driven by comedy before this one either so like i don't know that we get games like portal or mm. like i can see a line from portal to this as as it's as part of its legacy yeah i think uh-huh. the only, this kind of reminds me of like those old um adventure games like the point and click right where there was like a humor driven thing but in this generation at least like once the PlayStation and 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 this generation rolled around, humor kind of fell to the wayside where it's just mm-hmm. like this game and Psychonauts and um, the Bard's Tale were like a big deal because, oh, they're funny, right? Yeah. <laughs> Stuff like that, um, which is, yeah, I, I can totally see that being something. And this is maybe the funniest Japanese game that we saw this generation. Yeah. And the sixth question, is this the peak for any of the studios or the generation? Um, what do you think, Joe? Uh, it's not peak for Namco because they have mm. freaking like Pac-Man and Soul Calibur, like yeah. huge games. It's not peak And for... Ace Combat. Don't sleep on Ace Combat. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's not peak for PS2. Uh, maybe like peak weird games or peak indie games because few indie mm. games ever really achieved the level of success or recognition that um, Katamari did in general, like, even nowadays with all the marketing and stuff. Um, yeah. So for them to do have done it, in that generation and still be relevant in this generation is crazy. Yeah. I, I think it's peak Takahashi. Like, I don't think he made a better game than Katamari Damacy. I mean, we love Katamari, which is the sequel, uh, which is bigger and better in a lot of ways. It just doesn't have the same feeling, or at least it doesn't have that surprise that, that Katamari Damacy did. Um, and then he did Nobi Nobi boy, which I don't know if you played, it was out on PS3. I did Um, not. It was fine. Um, then he worked on Glitch, which was like an MMO type game by the people who would later make Slack the communication tool. <laughs> and then last year he released Watam for the PS4, which sadly I haven't played yet. But I don't think he ever achieved the heights that Katamari Damacy, um, like Katamari Damacy, like burst him onto the scene, right? And and it's like his best game, easily, yeah. at least in my eyes. I, he started off really, really hot and hasn't achieved those heights again. So, I mean, maybe it's sad, but I, I think that's his peak was his first game easily. Yeah. Um, and uh, this might be a hot take, but I think Katamari could be the best game on the PS2. <laughs> Honestly, like I, I don't think I don't think there's any other game that I really enjoyed as much as Katamari Damacy. And um yeah, that maybe it's a hot take. I but think that's definitely a hot take. That's what I, I think. think maybe about it because GTA came out this year. Yeah, <laughs> and look, this generation. Like I really like San Andreas. Yeah. Um, Grand Theft Auto Three revolutionized everything, but I really don't think I had that same sense of of um, I don't know. Just there are certain games that when I'm playing them, it's kind of like almost I can't believe I'm experiencing this type of feeling. <laughs> Um, where it's like, I'm giddy, I'm happy. I'm like, oh, this is so cool. I can't believe somebody made this. I can't believe I'm playing this. And Katamari Damacy had that for me, which GTA never really had. 
um again maybe that's just personal that's for me yeah. but i really th- like the more i thought about it as i wrote that statement i was like well i looked through all my like ps2 games and like there's a couple where i felt like that but i really don't think any of them were as big as katamari damacy and then like look i'm looking at the top reviewed games for the ps2 uh number one is grand theft auto 3 uh-huh. okay Number two is Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 3, <laughs> which, uh, no. Resident Evil 4 is number three. Yeah, Again. See, not, not for you, but PS or Tony Hawk, I definitely had a lot of my time. So I can say in my rankings, it would, it would definitely rival Katamari. Uh, see, Metal Gear Solid 2? Again, not for me. Yeah. San Andreas, I played a bunch, but it's not, I'm telling you, like, it, it didn't have that, that feeling. Then Vice City, same thing. Gran Turismo 3, same thing. Uh, number eight is Madden NFL 2003. <sighs> nope. Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 4. Nope. Nah. Devil May Cry. Nope. And then there's like two Maddens. Then there's Metal Gear Solid 3, which wasn't even like it was fine, but nope. God of War is number 15. It, it does, doesn't come close. Yeah. Burnout 3 was number 17. SSX is number 19 um okami is 21 so see like all of these games that are like supposedly the best games on ps2 or best reviewed games like they they really didn't fill me with that sense of wonder as much as katamari damacy did not even um, aiko not even honestly because huh. it, it, it was i don't know what it like it was impressive you know what yeah. i mean like yeah, it, it yeah. was it was impressive and it was cool but it, it didn't fill me with that sense of one like shadow of the colossus got kind of close but not really um there's like really fun games like nba street volume 2 which really made me happy but yeah. i never had that same feeling and it's too competitive to have that kind of a feeling yeah i mean Ace Combat, like I said, I have like a like a love affair with the Ace Combat series. It's the only video game series that I've beat every game in the series. Um, Ace Combat Four was really really good on PS2, but it doesn't feel as good as as Katamari Damacy for me. Katamari Damacy is the peak of the PS2. Ugh. I just consider it the game that I enjoyed the most, the game that produced the most wonder in me, the game that just it just made me the happiest <sighs> of any other game. On the PS2, including the Grand Theft Autos, including the Ace Combats, including the Prince of Persia's, which was really good. Um, yeah, I don't. It's it's it sits atop. It sits alone as <laughs> as my favorite PS2 game. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and the seventh and last question: How would this game work or look like in 2020? Uh, I think very similar. I mean, it's just such a simple concept. It doesn't need like much more work. It's cute. It's funny. It's niche. Um, there, like, there's a certain type of audience built in, and that's kind of like that that weirdness of Japan. Mm. Uh, and there's gonna be like other crossover, and some franchises will have more than others. Like Katamari got a big audience and kind of turned it into like an icon. Mm. Um, where like some some of the other like these other quirky games will will just be small. Um, this game I see if, again, like I said before, if it came out the same way that it did, then I would still play it now. Like mm-hmm. if I knew nothing about it, it would just re-roll came out and it wasn't even re-roll. It was just Katamari Damacy. Like it would, just, I would buy it and love it the same way that I did then. Yeah. 
Yeah, I agree because like like we said, like we keep reiterating, right? Like the game really nailed its 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 concept. Like this is what we're gonna do, and it nailed it. Yeah. So they went into four key points, which is novelty, ease ease of understanding, enjoyment, and humor. That is what Takahashi said. These are the four key points in the game. Uh, so it has to be easy game to control, understand, has to make you feel good. And to me, there's one game released last year, not 2020, but 2019, that fits this. And I considered, especially as soon as I was done with it, to be the spiritual successor to Katamari Damacy. And that is Untitled Goose Game. <laughs> did, did you play Untitled Goose Game? Yeah, I mean, I played like the, I played a couple of levels. I still haven't bought it because I just haven't gotten around to it, but I want, I want to. And I was actually thinking the same exact thing. I so have it un- in my notes here too. <laughs> so Untitled Goose Game is a game where you play a goose that's terrorizing a village, and you have, you can hold on to stuff and you can honk. And that's it. <laughs> And the art style is super unique. It's just like very simplistic and it's very funny because you can terrorize the, like people and grab their keys and run around and stuff like that. So it's just, it's it's a game that is very, very simple. You have the goals outlined to you in a very simple way, which is just like wet the, wet the farmer. Right? <laughs> and it's just like, okay, I got to wet the farmer. So how do I do that? All I can do is honk and hold on to his stuff and interact with the environment. So I think, and it's also like, this was a a tiny game. It was, I think four people worked on Untitled Goose Game, which is amazing. Um, It's available for Switch. And yeah, like Untitled Goose Game combines all of that. It's a novelty because where where else are you controlling a goose? It's easy to understand because you can only do the things that a goose can do. It's enjoyable because of how simple it is and it's Uh good to look at. And it's funny, like it makes you feel good when you are making a kid drop his glasses <laughs> because you're honking at him and, and he hides in a phone booth. <laughs> yeah, it's just that I think I yeah, I consider Untitled Goose Game to be like the spiritual successor to Katamari because it's it's a very simple game, it's funny, and anyone can grab it. Like like I said, like my wife who doesn't play video games played Untitled Goose Game <laughs> and was cracking up at the stuff she was doing. That's really um yeah, so I, I think that's what it looks like. If not Katamari Damacy reroll, but yeah, anything that that is simple, that is accessible, that is funny, and that is joyful, low stakes, above all else, like it helps if it has a colorful visual language and everything, yeah. like Untitled Goose Game. But I think Untitled Goose Game is Katamari Damacy twenty twenty. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. That's why, like, I have in my notes here. I want to see the Venn diagram between uh, of people who love Katamari Untitled Goose Game and uh, Ace Attorney. <laughs> yeah like that, that venn diagram has to be a circle maybe a oh, little pretty off, much <laughs> but it's mostly a circle yeah it was i i wish um takahashi's no longer involved with namco or the katamari universe but i hope he kind of recaptures that magic again um but even if he doesn't i think the simple fact that katamari exists made it so that other game developers try stuff like unti- yeah. untitled goose game so yeah yeah it was a very important game yeah, for sure. Any final thoughts you have on Katamari? Uh, no, none that, I, none that we haven't touched on already. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks, Joe, for talking to me about my favorite PS2 game. <laughs> uh, I hope I don't get any emails about that. But if you do, you can reach out to us uh, via email or on Twitter at IrrelevantPods. Thanks, Joe. Um, and we'll talk to you guys next time.
This is the Irrelevant Podcast Network. Thanks for listening.